0: Hello, Internet, and welcome back to the Engadget podcast. I'm Senior Editor Devendra Hardwar.
1: I'm Reviews Editor Sherlyn Lowe.
0: And this week, we're going to be talking about a whole bunch of reviews, which is a pretty big part of what we do over here at Engadget. And we'll be talking about the Surface Pro 7.
1: It's a Windows tablet.
0: The Pixel 4.
1: Google's latest flagship.
0: The XPS 13 2-in-1.
1: Perfect portable laptop.
0: And the Vive Cosmos.
1: Really weird VR headset.
0: And a whole bunch of other things, too. Other things. Other things. Other things. Tell us what you think about these reviews and everything else we're doing over in Gadget at PodcastingGadget.com. Be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes and leave us a review because that's always super helpful for every podcast. So, Sherlyn, let's talk about the Surface Pro 7, which you got while I was taking a few days off for my daughter's first birthday. So that was a fun thing. I missed playing with the Surface Pro 7, though. I don't know what it what was more meaningful, my daughter's first birthday... <laughs> Surface Pro 7.
1: I'm gonna take a wager of a hundred dollars <laughs> and say it's Sophia's first birthday that's more important. Because, oh no, most definitely. Because first of all, this wasn't even that interesting an upgrade. This yeah. Surface Pro 7, the Surface Pro line has been, you know, really well established for being the best, I think, Windows tablet around that also can be a laptop uh, replacement if you need it. Mm -hmm. Um, The Surface Pro 6, you really liked. And, um, you know, it performs well, it lasts long, it's got a great screen, got a great build, the best keyboard cover in the market. And the Surface Pro 7 has a lot of that stuff, right? But it finally introduces...
0: USB C. <laughs> USB C. Just one port.
1: USA. USB C. I, and I, I will
0: say, Sherlyn's very excited about this because Microsoft has been kind of slow to, to adapt to this uh, port because it showed up on a couple of things. It showed up on the Surface Go last year. It's been on the Surface Book, but when it comes to charging, it's really only been the Surface Go. And I personally hate uh, Microsoft's weird uh, power adapter thing on the surfaces. So to have like a nice standard thing. Uh, that's that's a big help. So we at least finally get that on the Surface Pro Seven.
1: It's really nice because I have a USB C charger for my phone and my laptops so at yeah. home and in the office. So now I can charge the Pro Seven. So, but the thing is, though, like the most outstanding thing about the Pro Seven is the USB C, <laughs> which is sad, right? Like, like here, here we go, a new Surface Pro Seven this year. Here's what we did. Mm-hmm. USB-C. Meanwhile, yep. also new processors that are a lot faster than before, like significantly so uh, based on the benchmark tests we run. We and this, ran. these
0: are Intel's 10th generation exactly, chips. Exactly, the 10th yeah.
1: generation chips. But they came at the expense of battery life, mm. which is weird. Like we ran our battery, t- I had to run it three times, and these are overnight tests because like they're, they generally last at least like 12 hours or 15 hours on the Pro 6. Our Pro Seven lasted like an average of about eight, eight and a half hours, maybe, which is a massive
0: drop. So from what, like twelve or thirteen? From the other fifteen ones? on the from, Surface Pro oh, Six. Yeah, yeah. The
1: Surface Pro Six had fifteen, and I tested it at all levels of the battery performance. So it was like max battery life or max power. And on max power or performance, you're getting like seven fifty. So it's weird. Um, it's a mixed bag, I want to say, but we, you know, it's still a really good Windows tablet. So really good.
0: I, I feel like partially. We may be a little spoiled by the Surface Pro line because mm-hmm. Microsoft has been doing such a great job with these. When this like this basic design came out, that was the it's basically the Surface Pro, the one before was it the Well, 6? I think it had
1: no name. It had like it no had number no attached to it. Yeah, and the it,
0: Surface yeah. Pro, like, yeah, it was a really nice design. The only thing is like I wish they had thinned out the display bezels a bit to like mm-hmm. made it look a little more modern, but still like really nice. Like it's a thin machine, um, maybe chunky for a laptop or chunky for a tablet. But as far as laptops go, it still feels really thin. They just, they probably didn't have much room to optimize. And also, what the Surface Pro X mm. is coming, and I feel like that is. That's the one where they really took their design to another level, right?
1: I, I will say this. Having seen the Pro X on in a hands-on, yes, the Pro X is far thinner, just mm-hmm. much more attractive. Because
0: it's running a mobile processor. Exactly. So it so it's be, probably you know? has
1: more room to like you know shave off of the chassis. Um, the Pro 7 is, I agree, like still very thin and light, still very sturdy. And for a laptop replacement, it's one of the best designed ones out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, like you said, chunky bezels make it look really dated and... Also, who is the competition now for the Pro 7, right? Yeah. It's not just any, you know, Windows running tablet anymore because there's so few of those nowadays. It really is a laptop. It's a laptop like the XPS 13 2-in-1 that you mentioned or like others that I've seen recently that I can't mm-hmm. yet tell you or about. Or even
0: like the iPad Pro, which is Apple's attempt to like really uh, make a Surface-like device even though they ragged on them for so long, so... Mm. You know, There's, and they're also much more expensive than the Surface Pro 7, so...
1: It's also still, like, a terrible, terrible thing that Microsoft is doing, which is making you pay extra, God. like, $160 for the type cover.
0: They really got to stop doing that.
1: Because who's going to use that tablet? You're Who not going to buy a, a Surface color. without a
0: keyboard, yeah. So, it should be bundled. Like, even if the price were... If the starting price were a little higher, I feel yeah. like that would be more honest.
1: So, right now, it's 750 for the Core i3 model. If you bundled in the and keyboard... Never,
0: never buy the Core i3, never. but yes.
1: Maybe you you bundled in the keyboard and started it at like one well, maybe even like 850 mm-hmm. 900 people would be more open to that I think sure. but anyway that was my uh, wonderful weekend with the Surface Pro 7
0: yeah. um we got that we got that kind of late and Trillin basically spent most of last weekend writing it up so mm. what else have you been playing with, Sherlyn? I know we we saw the pixel four recently our review just went up over that too
1: yeah so that was another weekend deal where I didn't review it Chris Velasco who was uh, Chris Velasco did And uh, he is
0: currently just in a puddle somewhere. Poor guy recovering.
1: Maybe working on another review. Can't tell you guys yet. (laughs) But um, I was also playing with the Pixel 4 over the weekend trying to help him out and um, you know getting some testing of Face Unlock done and I did publish a a story on Monday about how Face Unlock just was really bad for me Mm -hmm. first of all Face Unlock the fact that you can unlock your phone with your (laughs) eyes closed Uh that was a huge glaring flaw and so this week you know the company finally was like oh god yeah that's a huge problem so they <laughs> announced that it's adding a mandatory eye detection feature to face unlock and that's coming soon we're not sure how soon that's so
0: google like uh, we have this uh, secure face encryption we forgot about the eyes
1: Guys, we forgot eyes are part of we forgot about your the face. eyes well okay so so that that's one of the issues with face unlock right and at least Google is aware and trying to fix it. Here's my here's my slate of other uh-huh. problems with the way the Pixel Four sees my face. First of all, I'm a girl that likes her makeup, right? And I, you know, look somewhat different when I have my makeup gotcha. on and I don't. Is it and judging
0: I, you? Is it like you're, you're going out on that? It
1: just doesn't recognize me. <laughs> it just straight up is like when you have your... So I set up Face Unlock twice. Once. The first time I set it up with um, my makeup on because I was at the event. I went home, washed my face, tried to use the phone, could not get in.
0: Honestly, this is surprising too because the way like um, Apple's Face ID works, it is like a three-dimensional render of your face, like makeup those things shouldn't matter, right? Because it, it knows the mapping of your face. Does Google's just work differently? Is that the problem?
1: I believe because it's using the radar sensor. I th-
0: oh, OK. Yeah. yeah.
1: So I I mean, I'm not fully up to speed on, like, the actual differences here. I will say that, like, I encounter this problem sometimes with, like, Windows Hello. What that's, like, also an optical image. Uh, with but some it's IR. also
0: using a 3D depth sensor. Right. Camera, so it's, right? Not so just, yeah. it's
1: not just because I look different. It's something about the texture of my face might be different because I have makeup <laughs> on. So these 3D depth maps are like, uh. what the heck is up with your face? But listen, I get it. That's fine. The thing is, though, with the iPhone or with like a Windows laptop, I can add a secondary face. Sure, sure. Which it could be me with makeup. Phase one, me without makeup. Face mm-hmm. two, but on the Pixel Four, you can only have one face. So if you are, I believe going... the iPhone
0: works the same way too. So it's not, it's not just
1: no. The iPhone allows you to have one alternate look. I had to ah, research this very deeply. Okay. I tried, like I asked, yeah. Anyway, um, you know, if you've invested in a Pixel Four, you've set up face unlock. This Halloween. Good luck. Make sure you remember your pin. If you want to be like, you know, some person from the office and you're going to change up your face or avatar or you want to be a yeah. gremlin.
0: Maybe we should just not be doing face authentication at all. Like, it's it seems like a bad idea. We have in glass fingerprint sensors now. Like, every, let's just use that.
1: That brings me to my second problem with face unlock, uh-huh. which is a huger issue, which is a massive issue. OK, so when when Apple replaced fingerprints or touch ID on the iPhone 10 with completely with Face ID it did it at an iOS level it did it by rep- like saying that any app that works with touch ID will work with Face ID because the authentication the part that says yes you're who you say you are is happening at the OS level so all the apps had to do is just ping the OS hey is this person who they say they are yes or no yeah meanwhile google somehow i Again, I haven't got a clear answer from the company. I've asked already. And I haven't got a clear answer from the company on how this really actively works. You have to use their biometric prompt, which sounds like it works at the OS level, except for all the developers still have to enable it individually.
0: It almost sounds like Google's bad at hardware.
1: No. No. This is software. What are you talking about? Well,
0: it is the hardware-software interaction. It's this is this is This is what I'm talking about several well, episodes ago. This... I
1: know. But, but, but. Also, Google takes makes more innovations than Apple does. We'll keep listen.
0: And Don't interrupt
1: me, Devendra.
0: You're you're the Google fan, and you're here over because just bragging on I their am, latest flagship phone. Because but.
1: I want it to do better. All right, listen. <laughs> also, because I can be just and fair. Because that is my job. Um, Maybe
0: it's a disappointing phone.
1: Wait, well, here's here's the thing. So all these apps, it is a disappointing phone. Mm-hmm. All these, um, you know, the fact that touch or fingerprint sensors um, are completely removed from the Pixel 4 is a massive problem, especially because, you know, with apps like your bank app, your credit card app, your Evernote, your secret keeping app, these are going to keep requesting that you sign in over and over again because they want to protect your device or your sensitive information better. And that's great. But then now you have to remember your, like, probably 26 hexa character, you know, alphanumeric code. And you got to keep typing it in over and over again on the Pixel 4. And... Honestly, that's not the best thing for security. I not don't great. think it it's that's not, not great
0: at all. By the way, everybody, this is not a sponsored thing, but <laughs> LastPass. LastPass. Or some sort of password manager, it will make your life easier.
1: For my own security purposes, I'm not gonna tell the whole world what <laughs> password manager I use, but I use a password manager and it helps. It does help.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But but, when there are things like touch ID, when fingerprint yeah. sensors help you, why you know use them? So anyway, okay.
0: so that's a shame. Well, what else? Uh, I think there were a couple cool things, uh, like uh, what you guys, what you both were talking about last week, um, the radar sensor mm. on the Pixel Four for like motion gestures and things like that. Does does that actually work out well? I
1: I love the idea of motion <laughs> sense,
0: but the implementation.
1: It looks. It works really well. That sensor is, like, one of the most sensitive things in, like, I've tested on a does device. Does it
0: actually work? Does it do the things Google says it's it supposed does. to do? It does. It okay. does. I
1: think I have the same issues with, with V from, you know, before, which is that they don't have... You know, they haven't implemented it as widely as we want to, uh, you know, see it work yet. So it works with like your media players. And yes, you know, swiping it, it's very active. I play with like, so you have to install a live wallpaper featuring a Pokemon, and then you can interact with it by like swiping in front of the phone and then like, you're, like pretend stroking your Pikachu. No comment. Oh boy. I just realized what I said. So anyway, so when you like wave your hand in front of the phone, um, the the Pikachu like will follow the action of your hand pretty accurately. And then there's this like trail of stars just kind of like following your hand as you move. And it all makes it feel like, yeah, this thing is like it really knows where I am. The other thing, the most intriguing thing for me about motion sense is how it enables the Pixel 4 to be always aware that you're reaching for it. That reach action is cool. actually mm. really well detected. Um, anytime I kind of like reach for my phone, I can see my always on display just come on with more notifications than before. And it's its just insane. It feels very intuitive. It's
0: This seems like something I think we'll see probably more phones going forward just because everything about Phone Innovations for has been about touch, has been about like the way you feel and interact with it. So Radar sensing, uh, I know, I mean, Samsung was showing off things like this uh, that were camera-based a couple of years ago. Never worked out so well. I feel like radar is a is a much better way to go about that.
1: Yeah, uh, Samsung's thing was Air Command, and it yes. just was like, whoa. <laughs> that was, was like
0: Galaxy S3, mm-hmm. Air Command.
1: No, it was not good, like you said, because it used a poorer sensor. Yeah. And I think LG G8X, uh, the LG uh, version, which used a Z camera, like which was a 3D depth sensing type camera, mm-hmm also didn't work really well. I don't think those were the right sensors to go with, and I think Google may have figured out how to get a good sensor in there for this to work. So maybe, you know, moving forward.
0: How are the cameras? Like, Google, at least the Pixel cameras have been good, right? Excellent.
1: Excellent. I can't even... Have y'all... I'm sure everybody's seen, and you probably have seen, these astrophotography mode photos. Mm -hmm. So first of all, astrophotography mode, like its name suggests, allows you to take pictures of stars, right? And... That is usually a very difficult endeavor because
0: that's impossible for cameras. It's yeah. like
1: because these stars they move in the night sky. They're you know you have to be like near pitch black to even see them with mm-hmm. your own eyes. So
0: and camera sensors are so finicky. Like you can't you have to do it on a tripod typically. Yes. Right?
1: So how Google has enabled this is the mode. Um, it's you know obviously long exposing your camera so you're like having it the lens open for a lot longer than normal. You know it sets the. Uh, light sensitivity to, like, way, way, way high. So it's, like, looking for any flicker of light at all. And when Google, like, sent out the review units, they also included a tripod. So clearly, clearly, (laughs) you're supposed to put this on a stable surface. So do that. And then when you hit um, record on the astrophotography mode, it will start like a four-minute capture session. Okay, so it's this is really not a handheld long.
0: thing, dude. You, no. Okay.
1: If you want to hold something up for four minutes, by all means, do it. You but will no, not. it's not.
0: It's not going to be good because you need to be perfectly stable.
1: Exactly, because right? if you move, your picture is not going to come out crisp at all. I will say <laughs> that the uh, algorithm, the processing side of it, is. It's amazing. Like, all mm-hmm. of these pictures have come out so beautiful. I think not just because we're able to see stars in the night sky for the first time in these pictures, but also because Google's done a lot of work in the processing to make these look good.
0: That's a, So it sounds like an impressive feature, but, yeah, I, I, I mean, we live in New York. We don't. We, we barely see any stars. It was so hard to. Test I don't know this how often. Um, maybe you know, if you live in the suburbs or in the country, like this could be more useful. over when you're hiking or something, this seems like a very small feature that's just computationally impressive, but maybe not something people like are gonna use said. all the time.
1: Exactly, unless you're going to Burning Man and like wandering out mm-hmm. in the middle of desert, uh, in the middle of the desert, then this will come in handy. Otherwise, no. Yeah. Otherwise, astrophotography is really just a novelty, a gim- almost gimmicky. The problem with this thing is like, girl, I'm not here taking photos of the night sky. I'm like, look, I want to take pictures of my face. Listen, yeah. all right. I take more selfies than most people. I get that. But <laughs> say you're, you know... Taking a photo of you and your baby, you and Mm -hmm. your friends, at a thing. You don't want the camera to be distorting your face, but that's what the Pixel 4 does to me. Really? So I first noticed this issue with the Pixel 3, and it was a major reason why I took so long to switch over. The Pixel 3 had a wide-angle selfie camera in addition to the primary lens, so Mm -hmm. it was correcting for wide-angle distortion, which, you know, makes sense. But when i was doing that it was also squishing my face so instead of looking like a nice round pancake i looked like a squished up pancake it's very weird so i have pictures to prove this if y'all want to see it let me know um but the pixel 4 i thought because it doesn't have a wide angle lens or the you know the secondary one might not have this issue no it's worse now it's actually like just baked into the system on the pixel 3 it, i was able to use a third party app to like take a photo that, of my face that looked normal <laughs> On the Pixel 4, because of something like live HDR and Uh like the dual exposure that's happening on the viewfinder, it seems like this, you know, tweaking of your features or your face or the anyway, the wide angle distortion or correction is happening at like a lower level, a more underlying software level for the camera. And so when I use Instagram to take like a selfie video with the Supreme phone that we got in recently, (laughs) it was distorting my face like my face you can see in real time my face looks normal and then it just engorges and it's really weird so listen <laughs> I, I have
0: you talked to google about this have, I have you talked I have asked to them yeah i've asked and Mr. they don't Sunder have Pichai, why are my faces?
1: my facies i i have asked them google said they need some time to get back to me about the the whole like underlying software level camera question um and they still haven't gotten back to me mm. and it's so hmm. I asked him on Monday and it's Thursday. He had, another,
0: he had another Google hardware problem. Interesting. I mean... Interesting.
1: Listen, why do you keep saying it's a hardware problem? It's a software problem.
0: Okay. Which okay. also runs let counter me, to me, my whole let point. Let me say this again. So hardware works based on software. So, okay maybe it's not specifically a problem with the camera module, but it's certainly a problem with the way Google's interacting with the hardware. So So to me, it's all... So it's how it's processing. Okay, okay. I feel like this... This This is code
1: that it's written to take care of the software. this is
0: being pedantic, but I feel like this is why Sherlyn is such such a big fan of Google because I'm sure their engineers are looking at this too and like... Not seeing the fundamental usability problem.
1: I do think here. here's yeah. what I mean by it's a software problem. It's something that can be <laughs> fixed if they wrote the right code. Sure,
0: sure. And I mean, you're right. You're
1: right. You know what I mean? Like their design, the phone feels great. You know what I mean?
0: <laughs> the phone feels great. I will say. Um, so what they have? They finally have two rear camera lenses, yes. which uh, is nice.
1: The big argument on Twitter, which is apparently where I spend all my time, is you know, Google has chosen that uh, a telephoto lens instead of a wide angle on the back, where everyone else has done wide angle as well. And because so, everyone
0: else did telephoto. Well, iPhone did telephoto last year with yeah. the iPhone 10. Yeah. But
1: wide angle is much more versatile sure. on things like the uh, Galaxy phones or uh, OnePlus. And, and that's and what
0: the, the iPhone 11 has. The base iPhone right. 11 has ultra wide angle and like the traditional wide because angle. Because
1: people yeah. want to take photos of landscapes. Sure. It it's happens. very nice.
0: It's very helpful. It is also super helpful right. for guess, baby photos. Yeah.
1: Listen, on this point, I'll let you have it. This Pun. I'm not even
0: making a point. I'm just I'm just pointing out. That, right. Yeah. But
1: I know, I know you're not making a point, but I'm like having a realization right now where I'm like, <laughs> listen, Google, come on. <laughs> this one hardware problem y'all can fix with the next Pixel 4 or 4a or whatever that might be on the way. That's this is a hardware problem. Hardware problem means you have to wait for the next generation to fix. So
0: as I like to say, told you. <laughs> one other thing I want to mention for Pixel 4. Uh is that 90 hertz screen, which mm-hmm. I find I, I love high refresh rate screens. Uh what that means is everything looks smoother, right? The screen just refreshes at a faster rate. So scrolling up and down a web page or something, like it you can still see those words. It doesn't blur like it does on an iPhone or a typical phone. I we've seen that in some gaming phones, I believe Razors and a few others. It looks nice. It's silky smooth. It's hard to go back from. How do you like that on the Pixel 4, Shulin?
1: It's really nice looking. Everything looks really smooth. I've also used the OnePlus 7T, which has a similar refresh rate, so great. Uh, they both look, you know, it's this is our new world. It's all going to be upgraded to that standard, I think, moving forward. Problem is, and I hate to burst your bubble, but I'm the <laughs> bubble burster today. Google's
0: I mean, you're not, bursting your own bubble, so yeah.
1: Oh, boy. Google is not applying 90 hertz at every to everything, and it's like that's, variable, right? Yeah, yeah, it's it's it adapts to what you're doing, and that's fair because not everything is compatible with the new refresh rate yet. So, at the base level, when you're um you know, looking at video that's, like, regular like the regular video that's shot at 60 frames per second, then it'll be, like, 60 hertz. When you're doing things like, um, you know, using battery mode, for example, battery saver mode, then it's, like, all right, we'll tune down to 60 hertz yeah, 90 because 90 hertz drains the battery. More
0: refresh rates means, yeah, your screen is being, like, updated more quickly. So exactly. So that is much harder in your battery. And
1: yeah. so, and the Pixel 4's battery life is already generally disappointing. <laughs> so you don't want to, like take that more and the problem is Google seems to also be tweaking your refresh rate based on your phone and your ambient brightness Hmm. so if your phones and this is some code that like an Android developer unearthed and analyzed and it looks like Google the Pixel 4 when it detects that your brightness is set to 75 percent or lower will set the refresh rate to 60 hertz and then if you go up brighter than that it'll go back to 90 hertz and this is redonkulous
0: that makes no sense at all. I cannot think of like now, an effective reason to do that.
1: We've had to speculate. I asked Chris. I asked uh, V. Like, what? Why? Why would they do this? And he was like, Well, maybe. Like, obviously, the goal is to save battery, and maybe the reasoning here, and we're speculating hard on this, is that like maybe at a lower brightness, you won't observe the smoother screen as well as you maybe. did at a higher yeah. brightness. So yeah. maybe that's why, right? But Google did issue a statement yesterday saying that it has some previously planned tweaks uh, that are coming up that will fix the you know that will end enable 90 hertz and more brightness conditions. So, you know, eventually they'll come. Um, I'm not, like, hype. I don't need it to be 90 hertz all the time. I'm fine with that. The problem is, though, like, again, that brightness thing is a problem. Mm -hmm. OnePlus uh, told me yesterday as well that it's also doing the similar thing on the 7T. So it is enforcing um, 90 hertz when you're scrolling and when you're watching compatible content. But when you're looking at static things or um, you just, like, have... Some sort of battery mode on, perhaps sixty hertz is the base level. So it's not it's not the way of the future right now. Like okay. it's not. So happening I shouldn't right feel now.
0: bad that it's not on, on my the iPhone Eleven Pro. Although it's it's a pro yeah. phone. Pro phones should have pro features. Come on. I, I do feel like um, next year with next year's iPhone and next year's wave of phones, this is going to be a big thing. Just I think because so. Because it just it looks so good. High refresh rate stuff in general. Maybe I just still have a Gemini man. On my mind right now, and I wrote that up at Engadget. But high refresh rate stuff—it is—it's astounding. It's fantastic. I love seeing it.
1: The the, the trouble is battery life, and they're yeah. going to have to keep figuring out how to get more.
0: Gotcha. Excellent. Well, that is the Pixel Four, Google's latest flagship phone, which Sherlyn, uh, Sherlyn likes Google. And what what are your overall thoughts, Sherlin? I like it. I'm I'm slightly disappointed. I like it
1: though. <laughs> I just like can't it switch
0: after that was like uh, that was a while that was a I, lot of like just going down the negative.
1: I have a lot of complaints but I will say they're not unfixable and Lynn, the
0: unflappable Google stan let's move on to the XPS 13 2 in 1 which I reviewed a couple of weeks ago and I just want to talk about it because it is it feels so good if it I'm
1: is... if I am the unflappable Google stan <laughs> you're the Dell XPS fanboy yeah
0: because they're good i'm not i'm not making excuses you're, you're, hardware you're like
1: every, every... Honestly, before I worked at Engadget, can I say something about uh-huh, it? Uh-huh. You reviewed the Fitbit, one of Fitbit's, like, the Ulta or something, and I had reviewed it at my previous publication, and I was like...
0: Oh, now we're doing competing reviews. Okay, uh-huh. let's do this. Uh-huh. I'm rolling I up like, my sleeves.
1: Listen, this isn't... Not, like, this is still not stylish. Fitbit made a big deal about how this looks good, and I'm like, Style this doesn't look Style is subjective. Good. Style is subjective. Meanwhile, Devendra Hardware over at Engadget, which a publication I respect a lot, was like... This is
0: beautiful.
1: I'm like, uh
0: It is beautiful. Well, okay. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna fight about Fitbit because anyway. I don't care about <laughs> Fitbit, but compared to their ugly, they're very, very ugly devices before, like I think any Sheena thing anyway. would be nice. in It is uh not just one of the best convertibles I've ever seen. I think it's pretty much like the pinnacle of ultra-portable laptop design. It is super thin, it's very fast, thanks to those Intel 10th generation CPUs. And uh, the big thing too is that uh, those tenth gen CPUs have really fast integrated graphics. So, as I was able to play Overwatch at like 720p, p and to lower the settings, but it still like played well. Went above 60 FPS at some points. Like, it feels good. It has a Maglev keyboard, so even though it is, um, it's like a very shallow feeling keyboard. They still very, they still feel very nice to type on. Like, there's a nice reaction to it. Uh, that's something I was worried about as they like thinned out the keyboard compared to the base XPS 13. Uh, you've seen it, Shrillen. How do you, how do you think it compares everything you've reviewed?
1: I have been touching a <laughs> lot of ultra portable laptops <laughs> lately, touching them, using them, you know, just caressing them. Mm-hmm. The XPS 13 is nice. There are a lot of nicer ones coming out. Listen, okay, I okay. saw some today that the company <laughs> is like not ready to like fully reveal yet, but they're like, yeah, you can hint at it. Um, there, yeah, there's something like, coming up there really, really nice. I'll well, point uh, to...
0: Yeah, I feel like this is going to be a whole new wave of laptop design, right? But well, what did you see?
1: Yeah, so, I'll, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to tell you what I saw, but I'll point <laughs> to other laptops like the Galaxy Book S, right? The HP Elite Dragonfly, which the company marketed as lighter than air, which is like, all right, what is didn't lighter you, than air?
0: But you didn't really like that computer. The Elite
1: Dragonfly? Yeah. I mean, it's more of like a, a mainstream laptop. It's not yeah. like the highest spec thing, yeah. the way the Dell XPS line is, but it is... Uh, like, you know, pushing boundaries in terms of what we think of a laptop. Is you know for weight and for size, right? So I think that that sort of design is coming down the line for all laptops, and that brings me full circle back to why the Surface Pro Seven just needs a design upgrade. Anyway, um, and
0: that's the Surface Pro X. Yeah, and that's yeah, the, the Surface as Pro X. We've talked wax. about, yeah, yeah.
1: But but there's a lot of really sexy laptops mm-hmm. out there. I mean, the Concept D line was introduced this year by Acer. Acer, which is super you're calling thin.
0: an Acer laptop sexy? That's uh, yo. Have you played with the Aspire series? Hey, that fine. whole glass
1: covered thing. Oh, they're
0: fine. Oh. Um, There's that. So I I feel like the main takeaway here is that I love the X-Space 13 2-in-1. If you are planning to upgrade your laptop anytime soon, maybe wait. Maybe wait a little Mm. and see. First of all, see what's coming up for Black Friday. Uh, But if you can wait into next year, I feel like we're going to see some really interesting thin designs. Based on Intel's new hardware, maybe some new stuff coming out. But it is a really good time to be Intel laptops.
1: I feel like we gotta thank Intel's project Athena for this too, because Athena is pushing companies to make really thin and light laptops that are very powerful. Is it though? Well, have you seen some of
0: these? I've seen watch? some of it. And the XPS 13 2-in-1 is, is one part of, of the Project Athena initiative. It is this thing that Intel announced. Um, I mean, what well, we heard about it first at CES, but we heard more at Computex, where, yeah, it's their new, similar to, like, the Ultrabook initiative. It is just, like, basic design specs, right? A basic amount of battery life, a decent amount of thinness. It's them just trying to make certain things required or it's at least standardized. But it's not... It's not going to be like a label, right? It's not going to be something you actually find on a computer. It's just like an ideal.
1: Right. For the person yeah. that's buying a laptop, you're not going out and asking, hey, where's this Project Project <laughs> Athena laptop? But but it is, I think, one of the reasons companies are able to make such thin and light devices mm-hmm. and that we're going to see them more of them next year. So I'm really stoked. I'm mm-hmm. just like, they're gorgeous. They're that's
0: cute. cool. We're yeah. going to see a whole bunch of computers. <laughs> something else that just came into the office, uh, I spent last week playing with the Vive Cosmos, which is uh HTC's long awaited follow up to the to the original Vive and that was one of the first VR headsets to really make consumer VR a thing so there was the Vive there was the Oculus Rift um the Cosmos is here uh I'm I'm a little ambivalent about it I think as a high end VR headset it is certainly a nice follow up to the Vive the problem is it's coming uh in today it's coming in October 2019 uh, and it's delivering features that we've seen from Oculus's devices um, pretty much over the past year. And it doesn't quite compete with, with something like the Oculus Quest. And something, you know, I spent uh, a bit of time at the Oculus Connect conference a couple of weeks ago. And that's where they really turned the Quest into something very, very interesting. So I reviewed it as like a plain standalone VR headset. And it's really impressive for that. But I found, you know, it's it's a little underpowered. You can only really do so much with it. At Oculus Connect, they announced a feature that lets you plug in a USB-C cable into a gaming computer and just use it as a desktop VR headset. And I think that is astounding. So that turns that $400 standalone device into a proper VR headset. Um, I mean, it effectively makes the Rift S kind of obsolete, too, which was uh, Oculus's slight follow-up to the Rift. Uh, The Quest is basically like the VR headset to beat right now. And yeah, I don't think the Cosmos can really compete. Uh, The Cosmos is $700. The Quest is $400. The Cosmos has inside-out tracking, so you don't have to set up sensors. Uh, But I don't – its motion controllers are fine, except they look like straight-up copies of the Oculus remotes. And um, I also reviewed the Valve Index a couple months ago, and I feel like right now that is the pinnacle of high-end VR because that whole system costs $1,000. but Using it, you can really understand why. Like, it's a much more comfortable headset. Uh, it uses these cool finger tracking controllers. It really pushes VR forward. Whereas the Vive Cosmos feels fine, like really fine high-end headset, but it doesn't really push anything forward. Uh, if they had given this to us maybe a year ago, I, I would have, I would have loved it. Right now, it just seems a little overpriced, a little late. So that's disappointing. But uh, I think it shows that the VR market is getting stronger and getting better. So that's my big takeaway here. Like the Oculus Quest is gonna be a huge deal this holiday season. Keep an eye out for sales. Like if you if you're looking to gift yourself something or if you're looking to dabble with VR a bit, uh I, I feel like it's a decent investment based Which on is everything we've seen.
1: Also funny because like this the standalone mobile VR headsets like Gear VR or yep. Asian VR are just
0: dead. They're dead There's because no. they were a stepping stone. Right? Yeah.
1: There's no real like entry point to VR anymore in the same way, in mm-hmm. that way. Well, so there's t- the
0: Oculus Go, which is also another self-contained two hundred dollar headset. It's fine. You could do some basic VR games in it. You could do some three sixty degree video. You can see some really nice stuff. But the I feel like anybody who's really interested in VR should just spend the extra two hundred bucks, get the Quest. You can play games like Super Hot. You can play you know games like Space Pirate Trainer. And then, if you happen to have a gaming PC, you can just plug it in and get some really nice high-end VR, and that that just seems super useful. It's going to get hand tracking next year too, which is going to open up all sorts of new interactions for VR games. It is, it's, it's just very good. And the Vive Cosmos just came a little too late, unfortunately.
1: Poor thing. Poor thing. Elsewhere in reviews land, though, I mean, it's not just you and I doing reviews. We've uh-huh. got all our coworkers. I've we've put all of them to work. <laughs> listen everybody is sweating um we have in you have in the echoes i the have echo the devices.
0: new amazon echo which is Fine. I'll, I'll be writing a book and a review about how fine it is, but nothing yeah. like revolutionary.
1: And I have the Nest Mini. Um, we have other people working on various other companies' devices that I can't mention all of them. I can say we have a Pixel Book Go in the office, mm-hmm. and Nate Ingram's testing that out. Our reviews due to come out. Let's soon. try to get Nate
0: on for that, just because Nate is uh, probably the only Chromebook fanboy. No, that I know.
1: No, he's not the only. I'm somewhat of a Chromebook. I mean, not uh, not. That's kind of obvious because I'm a Google <laughs> Stan. But we'll see what Nate thinks, and it'll be nice to have him on here for sure.
0: So let's move on to some fun stuff. Our gadget picks, and my first one this week is Watchmen, the new HBO show developed by Damon Lindelof. It is a sort of sequel to the classic graphic novel, and I've seen the first episode. I freaking love this show. It is so good. What is it about? It is about, it is like a post-superhero thing. Like, the original Watchmen was like a deconstruction of the superhero mythology and uh, the whole idea of superheroes and kind of what they mean. I loved that movie, yes. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The one with Manhattan guy?
0: Oh, man. (laughs) You're just killing me. You're killing me here. here. Okay. Okay. Yes. The movie exists. Thankfully, the show is not a sequel to the movie. The show is, is an actual sequel to the graphic novel. And I think, you know, Watchmen for its time was a really groundbreaking thing because it really made us think about superheroes in a different way in a slightly more mature and darker way. And made us think about the idea of heroes and kind of what they mean. And this show is interesting because it is it is about something that no superhero could solve. It's really it seems like it's about racism. It is about like fundamental issues facing our society. This show opens with, uh, not a huge spoiler here, but this show opens with the Tulsa riots, which is a thing that actually happened. Like a, you know, basically a widespread destruction of the richest black neighborhood at that time. And I've never seen this depicted in TV, I've never seen it depicted in movies. Um, It's astounding to me that the show just opens with that. And It reminds me of, like, the opening of the first X-Men movie where it's just, like, confronting injustice at the beginning. And it's, like, giving you a sense of, like, what this story is actually about. And, you know, the big villains of this new series are a band of white supremacists, basically, who are taking on Rorschach's mask and his imagery and his kind of, like... Just shitty crime-fighting mentality, like the idea of Batman or any crusader just going really, really dark and really bad. Now they're essentially a white supremacist. It feels so timely. It feels so real. And it's also really well done. Uh, Anything you're watching, Sherlyn?
1: Me, I am watching The Good Place all day, all all <laughs> night. Just Good Place, give me all the time. It's good. It's really good. This season has been interesting to see. It's a lot of like I want to know what the ultimate ending will be, and it's right up my alley of uh-huh. like sci-fi, religion, moral philosophy, apparently, and
0: sitcom, and sitcom, mm-hmm. and Ted Danson. It's Ted Danson. Uh, oh, it's everything. I also really want to quickly talk about uh, CBS's Evil, which is a new show. It's. It's from the creators of The Good Wife and The Good Fight and uh, was it Braindead? I love all their shows. I think they're some of the best TV writers around. I spent a lot of my t- life convincing people to watch their shows because The Good Wife does not sound like a really interesting thing, but it turns out it is one of the smartest, funniest, most entertaining TV shows ever made. I think The Good Fight is the best deconstruction of like Trump's America that we've seen so far. So I love them as writers. The evil is a supernatural procedural. If you think of, like, the X-Files, except mostly focused on, like, religious supernatural phenomenon, uh, it is a team, you know, it's about a team of people who go around investigating weird stuff like exorcisms and possessions and trying to determine if it's real. If it's fake, if there's something you know wrong going on there, uh, it is really cool. It stars Mike Coulter, a.k.a. Luke Cage, who has another show, sorry, RIP Netflix Marvel shows. Um, but he is, he's just really cool. He's really badass. Asif Manvi is in the show as basically himself from The Daily Show as the tech geek, who I'm sure we'll all love and appreciate. What I love about the Robert and Michelle King is that their shows always have a really nice, deep understanding of tech – uh, the Good Wife was probably the only TV show that really took the idea of uh, government surveillance and wove it into the plot perfectly. That they understand tech. So uh, not to spoil too much, but in Evil, there there's already been like uh, potentially a possessed Amazon Echo or Echo-like device. Oh. There is – potentially a haunted AR experience which does sound pretty frightening like the idea that you could put on a headset and see this unreality and you don't know what's real or not and is it a ghost is or it, is a it digital construction is it AR I find that all really fun Sherlyn I think you in particular with your love for religious iconography you'll you'll really be interested in this
1: I feel like I'm being misrepresented <laughs> I feel like you don't understand my passions very deeply. It's not religious iconography, it's more like ghosts. Give me more ghosts. I Give want you more ghosts. ghosts. I want things that, like, prove to me there's (laughs) life after death, even if it's grim and gruesome. But, okay, so so that's why I was watching The Good Place, right? So this does sound really interesting. You threw out the two words, Supernatural Procedural, and I was like, I'm in. I am in There are possessions.
0: There's, like, it's kind of creepy and scary at times, too, so it's a perfect uh, uh, October Halloween show. It's
1: perfect. I've been finishing up Haven, so I'll I'll start right on Evil. I have been reading the one that's my gadget pick for today, which Uh is... (laughs) I mean, in addition to reading Jonathan Hates, like, The Righteous Mind, I've been reading Ali Wong's new book. Uh, I have to admit that Ali Wong is someone that DeVinger recommended to me because – and I was resistant from the beginning because –
0: Anything I recommend, Trillin's like, no. Yeah,
1: exactly. Uh, But she is hilarious. I watched Always Be My Maybe and was like, oh, she's actually kind of (laughs) cool. So her book. People love
0: her for some reason.
1: Yeah. Her book launched October 15th and it's called Dear Girls, a series of letters to her daughters. Um, And I just, if you like her brand of humor, you're going to love this book. It's such a candid, like, mother talking to her two kids, but, like, also, like, you know, you two kids are going to be assholes if you don't do this. (laughs) Like, just really, really straightforward, but also kind of a Mm -hmm. look at. All sorts of things. So I, I actually took some screenshots um, uh, today. And, you know, that's to me is a mark of a great book, which uh-huh. is when I can't wait to share parts of this book with my <laughs> friends. And um, one of the things that I took a screenshot of was how she just like so accurately pointed out what it means to be an immigrant living in America, especially East Asian. Um, she's Vietnamese and she was talking about how she went to Vietnam for a study abroad um, course uh, when she was younger and all the people in Vietnam were telling her she was fat and I was like
0: You and have, she's short you all have and seen, pretty skinny. Yes, yeah, you have, yeah, you all
1: have seen Ali Wong. And maybe back in her youth, she might have been a <laughs> different size, sure. But it struck me at my core because I was like, I grew up in Singapore, and in Singapore, I'm fat. Like, she, <laughs> she talked about how she went into a store and tried to buy clothes, and the people would stop her from trying to clothes on because they're like, it will rip. And I have had the same experience where I'll walk into a store, and like people in Singapore, like in boutiques in Singapore, uh-huh, would be like, uh-huh. we don't have anything your size. <laughs> I am a size six. <laughs> I am a size six. I used to be a size four. I am a size six now. Maybe sometimes a size eight, mm-hmm. but Singapore just doesn't accommodate that. And so there's a lot about Ali Wong's experiences that speak to me. And I haven't you
0: seen her Netflix specials, by the way?
1: You've told me to do
0: this. And <laughs> the things that put Ali Wong on the map. Uh, I'm glad you're liking her book. Check out her specials. I, her will. Good.
1: I will. I she's will. She's really. She's really. I, I feel like you. You know, she. She might. F- come off sometimes as a little too crass for the people who are a little more sensitive, but I I appreciate how real and self-assured she is. And yeah, that's... that's I I
0: think the right amount of crass for Shirlin, certainly. Uh, Finally, a quick shout out to The Outer Worlds, which is a new game coming out uh, from Obsidian. Uh, Some of the folks who've worked on Fallout. um, This is basically a Fallout game in space set in like a crazy hyper-capitalist society. It is, um, you know, I, I, I've i never really gotten super into Fallout games, but it feels like a combination of Fallout, Mass Effect, and Firefly. And those are all things I really enjoy. So I'm really digging, like, going around this world, um, you know, going on space adventures. Uh, the writing is very good. The characters are very good. You're basically hopping around from different planets, going through missions. But it's a first-person game where you're basically inhabiting the life of some sort of space pirate um, or character, whoever you want to be. I find it to be really fun. And the really cool thing about this is it's going to be on Xbox Game Pass. So if you're already subscribing to that thing, which is already pretty inexpensive, uh, you'll you'll just be able to play this game on Friday. So, yeah, check that out. And
1: that's it for our show today, you guys. Thank you for listening. Music was created by our managing editor, Terrence O'Brien, and the podcast is produced by Ben Elman. You can find Davindra online at...
0: At Davindra. And I also podcast at SlashFilm.com about movies and TV. So go check out the SlashFilmcast for more there.
1: If you want to reach me and you can be nice, you can find me on Twitter at Sherlyn Lowe. C-H-E-R-L-Y-N-N-L-O-W. Send us any questions or feedback. You can ping us on Twitter or email us at podcastaddingadget.com. Come back next week for a brand new episode.
0: We're out.